I've listened to Live at the Regal by BB King for most of a year. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. everybody and welcome back to spin it the record ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music i'm james and with me is connor that's a pc king to you pc king people's champion king yeah (laughs) i don't like that (laughs) well he's the people's champion self-proclaimed people's champion an emphasis on the self-proclaimed the people gave me the title but this week we're talking about a different king a different champion midas No, but everything he does touch, well, it doesn't turn to gold, it turns blue. B.B. King. (laughs) And last week we talked about Laney Wilson with Bell Bottom Country and Bell Bottom Sensory Perception. All I gotta say is, if you really do have BBSP, you might have seen this episode coming as well. Oh, yeah. I know, another another BB. Back-to-back BBs. So that's a BBBB. Wild. Yeah. You know, we've talked about B.B. King a few times before. At, at the very least, he came up frequently on our Elvis episode, Another King. But this is B.B. King's time to shine. What's your familiarity with blues? You didn't know much of, like, the soul-type Otis Redding stuff. What about just straight blues? We've had mixed success with the blues in the past. I know my Johnny Cashes and my Elvis blues, but mm. I, don't, I haven't ventured too much past the mainstream rock and roll blues. Right. That's exciting. I think this one will be more on the side of blues you liked. I remember, I mean, 100 episodes ago in our actual 30s and not the 130s, we talked about Janis Joplin and Stevie Ray Vaughan back to back. And one of those was a win for you and one of them really wasn't. So mm-hmm. I think we're maybe tending toward the good side, not to predict too much, but maybe we'll see. And this is our second live album, I believe. We did Folsom Prison by Johnny Cash, and I think that's the only other live album we've done. So that's exciting, too. Remind me where you stand on live albums. Better, worse, neutral, potentially better, potentially worse. Potentially worse. Mm. Because that's one of my big hangups with going and seeing concerts a lot of the time is it's typically just me paying a lot of money to hear worse versions of songs I like. (laughs) I mean, kind of. That's not really why you go to a concert, but that is effectively what could happen. I've seen some bands out there that are way better live than on a recording. Yeah, I mean, it can happen. I just, I feel like, you know, you listen to a song that you really like, you know how it goes, and then they're performing it live, and they don't perform it that way. They, like, take the note down instead of up, or, you know, just things because, you know, their voice isn't feeling it that night, or it's not something they can actually physically do without some help in the recording studio. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, it's not as good. It's like, I wanted that note to go up, because that's the way I've heard it the hundreds of times I listened to it and fell in love with it. Yeah. Okay, so on a live album that you haven't heard before, I mean, maybe that's an advantage. Yeah, I, I, that'd probably be all right. Yeah, that's why I said potentially worse. Okay. That's exciting. I'm stoked for all the history behind this. B.B. King is just, I mean, one of the most iconic names in music history, and rightfully so. Riley B. King, first name is Riley, we'll learn where he got the other B in a bit. Riley B. King was born in 1925 on a cotton plantation in Mississippi. His parents were sharecroppers, and when he was still very, very young, his mother left his father, so Riley was largely raised by his grandmother. Eventually, he moved to Indianola, Mississippi, the place that he would claim as home for the rest of his life. Also, 
coming from an agricultural background like that, King got into farming himself as a teenager. In fact, he was able to avoid being drafted into World War II because the government deemed his tractor driving experience as necessary to the war economy. Heck yeah. He was an essential worker in 1940-something. That's awesome. It is awesome, I know. Imagine being that good at driving a tractor. Right? I don't think I'm that good at anything. Maybe not. I don't know. How how hard would it be to drive a tractor essentially well? Yeah, but I don't think I could do better than most farm people. I think they'd probably be better than me. That's true. And probably not a teenage BB King. Yeah, yeah. Imagine being in high school. What are you so good at in high school that you don't have to go to war? Well, I mean, I I did mow lawns. So that's kind of like driving a tractor. But I also didn't use it to get out of being drafted. And it probably wouldn't have worked. I don't think there is anything I'm good enough at to get out of war. Sorry, I can't go to war. I've got to mow people's lawns. It's it's important for the effort. I've got to drive the tractor. In fact, I think I'm so bad at some things I get out of the war. Like asthma. I'm bad at breathing. Oh, yeah. Maybe I could leverage the podcast now. Like for morale. You see, I'm just good enough at being alive, but not good enough at being alive to get out of it. You know, I'm in that sweet spot that I'm definitely getting drafted. Yeah, not too talented, but not talented enough. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, when he wasn't driving a tractor or working at a cotton gin, B.B. King, of course, loved music. He sang in his local church choir, and he learned to play guitar from his minister, and he instantly fell in love with it. He was like, man, I, I love this. I need my own guitar, but he couldn't afford it. So he struck a deal with his boss. His boss bought him a $15 guitar and then withheld money from his paychecks for two months until it was paid off. And King was making $15 a month at the time. So he like sacrificed half his paycheck for two months to get a nice guitar. So it's not a small purchase by any means. No. I mean, that's dedication. I don't know what I'd sacrifice half my paycheck for. I don't know if I could (laughs) sacrifice half my paycheck for anything, but BB did it. He left school in 10th grade and actually started to draw crowds while he was playing on street corners. He made the observation that when he played gospel music, he would get a lot of compliments from people, but no tips. But he realized every time he played the blues, he always got money in the hat. So he said, okay, well, I guess I'm going to sing the blues. That was his his entry point into the genre, just making hat money, busking. He loved that feeling. He knew he wanted to do it as a career. So in 1948, he moved to Memphis, Tennessee, a city that's obviously now synonymous with his style of blues music. And he started to play on radio shows under the moniker The Beale Street Blues Boy. And Riley King suddenly turned into Blues Boy King, and that became B.B. King. Yeah. So his middle initial B isn't even a part of the B.B. That's crazy. I know. Blues Boy King. As his Beale Street notoriety started to grow, B.B. King started to connect with artists like Ike Turner and record execs like the Bihari Brothers, and he started to record with Future Sun Records founder and music business legend Sam Phillips, who we definitely talked about on the Elvis episode, and maybe the Johnny Cash episode and a few other times. So B.B. King puts together a band with all kinds of horns and other instruments to fill out his guitar-driven blues sound. He's touring across the country at this point by the end of the decade. He's playing everything from juke joints to big theaters in cities from coast to coast, including the infamous Chitlin Circuit. And he starts churning out chart hits by the early 1950s, like You Know I Love You, like Whole Lot of Love, like Every Day I Have the Blues, Sweet Little Angel, You Upset Me Baby, and a ton more hits that made their way onto Live at the Regal. Suddenly, his $15 per month salary is a thing of the past, and he's bringing in something like $2,500 a week. 
which is, I mean, that's just stupid money. In 1952? Mm-hmm. Wow. It's enough money that he's able to found his own record label right in the heart of Beale Street called Blues Boys Kingdom. He also signed himself with a future subsidiary of MCA Records, which in turn was absorbed into Geffen Records. So he gets officially with a label. From 1956 to 1964, he released 12 records on various labels. So he's already a legend and pretty much growing the blues genre single-handedly in some really unbelievable ways. But in the early 60s, he's kind of hit a little bit of a slump. He's hit a wall, you know, a little burnout. He and his team decide, hey, what are we going to do fast to give your career a jump start, to give it a little boost? They said, you know what? Maybe we could record a live album. That'd be really fast and really easy. Maybe we should try it and put something together. And so they did. That live album is the one we're talking about today, live at the Regal. Obviously, performed live at the Regal, a theater in Chicago. The show happened on November 21st, 1964. The Regal Theater was a historic venue located in Bronzeville in Chicago. It's an area that's known as Black Metropolis since it was such a hub of black industry and culture. And the theater itself was like a major step in access to entertainment. The theater itself was built in 1928, and prior to B.B. King, it had hosted dozens of legendary names like Louis Armstrong, Cab Calloway, Duke Ellington, Nat King Cole, Ella Fitzgerald, Dizzy Gillespie, Sammy Davis Jr., Etta James, Les Paul, James Brown, The Supremes, The Temptations, Dion Warwick, and many, many, many more. So many more that I was like, man, this list is so long, but I gotta keep writing down names. There's so many people. It's even the place where Stevie Wonder performed his famous live version of his debut single, Fingertips, and where Aretha Franklin was first dubbed the Queen of Soul. So the Regal Theater, I mean, was a major iconic venue, but it did close down shortly after King's show. It went bankrupt in 1968 and was demolished in 1973. So it suffered a sad fate, but boy, what a life it lived. So B.B. King, he rolls into Chicago in late 1964 and he puts on this show, a performance that he says some people would consider the best recording I've ever had. That particular day in Chicago, everything came together, he said. And in fact, it's likely that they played as many as four headlining sets that day. As far as his band goes that you hear on this record, he's got Leo Launchy on the bass, Kenneth Sands on the trumpet, Bobby Forte and Johnny Board on the saxophones, and Sonny Freeman on the drums. And his organist, Duke Jethro, was there, but his organ broke. B.B. King says, okay, well, you don't have an organ, play the piano instead. Pretty rational solution. But Jethro goes, um... I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to play the piano. So B.B. King says to him, well, just sit there and pretend. That's what you do most of the time anyway. And so Jethro sat there and pretended to play the piano. It doesn't show. I think he does a great job. Do you think, I mean, I think an organ is kind of like a piano in most important ways. I don't feel like the transition would be that difficult. I don't know. I can't play either, so. Well, I mean, they've got the same keys. Yeah. But if you can't play either, you know what you do. You sit there and pretend. It's true. That's what you do most of the time anyway. But they tear it up and thankfully they had the tapes rolling for the shows king and the band as far as this album go i mean they ripped through 10 of his biggest hits creating what is revered today not only as one of the best live records of all time or the best blues records of all time but one of the best records of all time period full stop rolling stone has ranked live at the regal as high as number 141 on their 500 greatest albums of all time list although currently it sits at number 299 in 2005 
Live at the Regal also made it into the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry. It's charted in the top 100 in Australia, Germany, Switzerland, and the UK. Peaked at number 56 on the Billboard charts in America. And uh, some other fun little details. To record Live at the Regal, they used the very same equipment that they used to record Chicago's Symphony Orchestra, as well as a couple extra mics to pick up crowd audio and cheers and claps and stuff. This was the first of 16 live albums for King. He would also release 43 studio albums in total over the course of his career. His last one came out in 2008. I mean, 59 albums is a hefty output. But are they all good? I can put out 59 albums tomorrow. Doesn't mean they're good. Well, okay, that's a good point. But honestly, I mean, I haven't listened to them all, so I can't speak from experience, but I bet they're all pretty good. Yeah, they probably are. I mean, he's a king. I know. He's a king. He's the king. He's royalty. Blues boy king. A lot of albums, a lot of music. Do you think all the royalty know each other? Well, I mean, B.B. King definitely knew Elvis. Yeah, you got the king of rock and roll, the blues boy king, got the queen of soul, you got King Midas. I don't think he's included <laughs> in the same categories. <laughs> oh. I don't even think I don't even think King Midas was real. Excuse me? You trying to tell me that a man who everything he touched turned to gold isn't real? Well, obviously that part's not true. But here's look at this. King Midas was a historical figure. Yeah. Who lived almost 3,000 years ago. And he turned everything to gold. Huh. He did have a lot of gold, apparently. But anyway, maybe they knew each other, maybe they didn't. B.B. King toured all around the world for years and years. And from what I've heard, he absolutely blew audiences away. I mean, until the very end of his life. He was out there just putting on the greatest show. He literally worked every day of the year one year. (laughs) I believe it. I bet he did it in more than one year, to be honest. I think he loved what he did, and it shows, that passion. Yeah, in 1956, he worked every day of the year, including 342 one-night stands. Imagine performing 342 one-nighter concerts. I can't imagine that. That's so many shows. That's like, remember we said Twisted Sister played like 90-some shows in 60 days or whatever? It's like that level of exhausting. Yeah. And he plays hard. And then the rest of the days were spent recording for albums. Amazing. Every day of the year's a lot. But he couldn't keep up that pace forever, unfortunately. King started to suffer from health problems later on in his life, including high blood pressure and diabetes. He passed away in his sleep on May 14th, 2015, at the age of 89. They held a funeral procession on Beale Street in Memphis, and then his body was driven down Highway 61, the very same Highway 61 that Bob Dylan sang about. About to say, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the one that's full of musical heritage sites all the way down to New Orleans. And he was buried at the B.B. King Museum in Indianola, Mississippi. Accolades-wise and awards, I mean, he was immensely influential for blues and for the growth of black music in general. It's really genuinely hard to find someone with a bigger fingerprint on modern music in almost any genre than King. The stuff that he did inspired the people that inspired the people that inspired the people. You know what I mean? He's like darn near the top of a trickle-down effect that has shaped everything about music. He's earned 15 Grammys on 21 nominations and tons of other honors, including at least four honorary doctorates, a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, and a Grammy Hall of Fame Award, a National Medal of the Arts, the Kennedy Center Honors, the Library of Congress's Living Legend Medal, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, Keys to the City in Portland, Maine, and 
a festival in his honor held every June in Indianola. He entered the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1987, the Blues Hall of Fame in 1980, and the National Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame in 2014. He's also been deemed the 8th greatest guitarist of all time by Rolling Stone, and number 3 by Time. And now you understand why I like B.B. King a lot. Also, as a guitar fan, man. But we've talked a lot about B.B. King as a guitar fan, right? How he got his first guitar from his boss, all that. Here's a fun trivia tidbit. B.B. King names all of his guitars Lucille. Every one of them. Okay. He said, I'm very crazy about Lucille. I've had many guitars, and I always call them Lucille. She's taken me a long way, even brought me some fame. Most of all, she's kept me alive, being able to eat. Lucille practically saved my life two or three times in actual car accidents. He's talking about literally saving his life. He says the car stopped turning over. It fell on top of Lucille, and Lucille the guitar held the car up off of him and let him live. I don't know how apocryphal that is, but that's a direct quote from him. So, man, he loves Lucille. And the reason he calls it Lucille is, you know, legend has it that in 1949, a venue caught fire during one of his concerts after a huge brawl between two men who were fighting over a woman, a woman named Lucille. And this happened because, you know, it was called out and it's 1949, not really a ton of easy ways to fix that. So the venue smartly used barrels full of lit kerosene (laughs) for heat. Heck yeah. (laughs) What a time. Yeah, so in the fight, these maybe drunk but definitely angry guys knocked one of these barrels over and this building full of kerosene barrels caught on fire. Were we still using asbestos at this time? Uh, Probably. Wow. So B.B. King gets out from this fire safely. He's outside and he realizes that he left his guitar inside. He's like, oh crap, my guitar as yet unnamed. I must go save it. And doing the thing that they always teach you not to do in the case of a fire. Yes. Yes, absolutely. What B.B. King does is he runs back into the building, Mm. grabs the guitar, and he names it Lucille as a reminder not to fight over women or run into any more burning buildings, he says. (laughs) So he won't do it again. But every guitar since has been Lucille. Gibson has since made a custom Lucille model of guitar for King to use. He stuck with their ES-355 model for more than 25 years prior to that. Oh, I thought you were going to be like after that. Like, yeah, thanks for that, but I'm going to stick with this. (laughs) But I'm going to stick with the other one. No. He said, sometimes I get to a place, I can't even say nothing. Sometimes when I'm blue, it seems Lucille tries to help me. Calls my name. She's just like a woman. And that's the only one I've had that seemed I could really depend on. I've been married and each time separated from my wife. But Lucille never separates from me. She's always stayed with me. Yeah. Anyway, that's my very historical, very fun bit of knowledge about B.B. King. B.B. King. I love that backstory. What a guy. What a story. What a tale. B.B. King. Oh, yeah. What are you singing? B.B. King. Are you working on your first of 16 albums? Hey, I don't know about you, but every day, every day, the mixtaper has the blues. The blues? When I beat him in Factor Spin. Oh. Plus, I feel like every day he has the purples. That's not a thing. (laughs) Well, either way, let's get the mixtaper on out here. Have him tell me some facts about B.B. King, and I'll tell him right back if he's lying to me. All right. Let's get him out here. This is really just me practicing to be a lie detector. Yeah, really. But let's get him out here. Mixtaper, are you ready to rumble? Hey, it's me. The mixtaper. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. How you doing? Live at the spinet. It's the mixtaper. I've got a pretty bad case of the purples. That's a real bummer. That is a shame. What do you do to get out of the purples? How do you get through that? I play Factor Spin. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad I'm here to help. Yeah. 
The worst is when I get a case of it right after we play and I have to wait a whole week to get out of it. (laughs) True. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen this time. Maybe I can leave you feeling whatever color you want to feel like. Green. Okay, maybe I can leave you with the greens. But first, got to talk about Blues Boy. All right. You alluded to a couple of my supposedly true facts. I hate when I do that because that means that I know something about parts of what you're going to say. And then I get in my own head and I throw myself off. Yeah. So we're not going to go there first. We'll let you stew on that. We're going to start with, he partnered with another famous king. He partnered with another famous king. Exciting. What famous king is that? Real king? Midas. Oh my gosh. No, kidding. (laughs) If you had done that and had Connor plant the seeds? Burger King. Oh gosh, really? (laughs) Really? He partnered with Burger King? Yeah. Oh man, I hate it. Why did he do this? This is, first of all, such like, if your name was B.B. King, absolutely you'd do this, right? At some point, absolutely Burger King would go, what if we got the King guy? But then also, why wouldn't you as the mixtaper go, ah yes, perfect, B. King? I know what to do with this. It's... It's a a double-edged sword. Anyway, what's he doing with Burger King? Doing commercials. Did he write the Whopper Whopper song? (laughs) No. That'd be awesome, though. (laughs) That would make me think less of him. What kind of commercials? Is he singing? Yeah. Is he playing the blues? Yeah. Oh. Does he sing about Burger King, or is he just there? He sure does. What's he sing? Playing his guitar, and he's singing about the new Burger King Egg Witch. Hey, she has a name. What? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's just sitting there with Lucille, singing about the new Burger King Egg Witch. Egg Witch? What an awful... That's what you got? That's the best you got? Hey, we want to name this new egg-based sandwich. What is the Egg Witch? Is it like a breakfast thing? Yeah. It's like an Egg McMuffin, but Burger King. Sure. They don't have a cool thing to do with it, like Mick. No, that's why they got BB King. To, to be like, BK and BB got something new for you. That's their hook? BK and BB? Yeah. Oh, selling the Egg Witch. When was this? When when does Burger King release the Egg Witch? 2002 is when this commercial came out. Wow. I kind of believe this. Of course, it's the very first kind of thing you, your brain would try and make up. But I also think it makes a ton of sense from a marketing standpoint. Surely they tried this. Yeah, it was pretty successful. Led to them uh, doing a whole run of BK and BB Burger King commercials. How many? I've got three different Burger King ones and then a bunch of other fast food commercials he really got into the fast food commercials he just did a bunch of fast food commercials that i mean burger king makes sense like bkbb and king like i get that what other fast food restaurants is he out here working with frito-lay okay but what other fast food restaurants is he out here working with mcdonald's oh a trader m&m's whoa m&m and b&b is that the angle i don't know and the ironic part is he's a vegetarian is he really wow yep i don't know if i knew that well i was on it being true You've said a lot more since then, and that could be dangerous because if it was true when I said I thought it was true, you could have just made it into a spin, and apparently that counts. But I'm going to stick with it and say this is a fact. I think it's the king and the king. Such a 2002 commercial. I'm sure it is, and I'd love to see it because that would mean I was right. This is a true fact. A true fact. Yes, B&B's got an egg witch for me. Let's take a look. It's five minutes long. Why is it so long? It's multiple takes. Oh, wow. Get to watch bloopers of the BB King Egg Witch commercial? Oh, he sings. Yeah. Oh, you're right. This is very 2002. BB and BK let you have it your way. What a good song. Oh, wow. I've come all the way around on that. BB King is a genius. <laughs> well, I guess it's time to move on to fact number two. I guess it is. 
Sorry that didn't do much to help with your purples. It didn't. He dodged more than just the draft. <laughs> he dodged. Well, this fact could be really fun. <laughs> BB King, I don't I don't know if I'd call him a draft dodger, except <laughs> he was just so good at driving tractors, right? Yeah. That's not dodging the draft, it's just him being told by the government, mm, we really need that plowed. He was forcefully dodged. That's right. What else did he dodge? Dodgeballs? His farming job, driving tractors. <laughs> he dodged his tractor driving job? Yeah. You mean like played hooky? Like just didn't show up or, or quit it? or uh, Ran away. Ran away? When? Why? I mean, leaving to play the blues doesn't count because he knew he was going to do that. He broke the tractor. He? Oh, no. He <laughs> broke the tractor? I thought he was good at this. He was so good at this, the army wouldn't take him. And he broke the tractor? Yep. Maybe they just told him that's why they didn't want him. Oh. Maybe they knew that he would like break the tank next, you know? So better to have him at home. How do you break a tractor? He's putting his boss's tractor away for the night, all done tractoring. Sure. And it lurched forward on him, and it knocked the smokestack off the tractor. That's not good. But it also doesn't sound super consequential. Well. Doesn't the smokestack just direct the smoke? I mean, functionally, I feel like the tractor would still work. Maybe. The tractor started smoking, whether or not that was due to the lack of a smokestack or (laughs) something else being wrong. An internal problem. Yeah. So he hits, the tractor lurches and surprises him. He freaks out, runs away. Yep. Fearing reprisal, he fled and took off for Memphis. What? That's that's why? Yeah, to pursue music professionally. But he didn't leave to pursue music. He left because he broke the tractor? Did he ever go back or apologize? Or, like, he just didn't show up to work the next day? Yeah, he just took off in the dead of the night. He just left a smoldering tractor in the barn in the dead of night, and his boss never heard from him again? For all he knew, it was going to blow up. Yeah, <laughs> and he dodged a bullet if it did, because he wasn't there to get blown up. He dodged his tractor job. I don't know. That seems pretty far-fetched that's for you to decide i think this one is a spin going spin yeah what didn't do it for you i just it doesn't seem like the tractor's that broken and i just don't know it doesn't feel true it feels like he already had ambitions to go to memphis Hmm. well i'm a little less purple because this is a true fact really he did a hit and run a one vehicle hit and run yep Hit something with the vehicle and ran away from it. <laughs> the army said, you're too good at driving tractors. We don't want you in the army. And then he broke a tractor and ran away. Well, maybe he didn't run away from fear of his boss. Maybe he ran away from fear of the <laughs> army finding out and saying, hey, you can't drive tractors? <laughs> Get over there. Maybe. It was almost exactly one year later, too. Wow. Well, he had a good year. He had a good run. It's one of the best tractor drivers in the country. And it does say he later went back and paid for the smokestack damage. I don't know how long oh. later, but... See, I thought he would have. You didn't tell me that part when I said it. Uh, I didn't see that part until just now. (laughs) Oh, darn you. I maybe would have believed it if you included that, because that seems in character for him. Yeah. Well, he sells eggwiches and he breaks tractors. What else does BB King do? He ends up in a lot of explosions. (laughs) Not the tractor, though. That one he dodged. Maybe. Yeah, he dodged that one if it did. (laughs) What other explosions is BB King dodging? Or I guess not dodging if he ends up in them. Well, I mean, he dodged. He didn't blow up, obviously. (laughs) No. No, but how cool would that be if he did and, like, lived? (laughs) In a plane accident a plane explosion is no joke what happened so he's a he's a licensed pilot oh wow yeah okay and he used to fly himself to gigs actually interesting that's cool all the way up until the age of 70 70 wow 
Why did he stop flying at the age of 70? I assumed he stopped flying at the age of 70 because he was 70. No. But also you said he was in an explosion, yeah. so I kind of assumed that's where we were headed. Yeah, I just waiting on you to ask a question. You know, it's kind of how this game works. Why did he stop at age 70? Uh, because of an explosion. <laughs> no way! <laughs> what happened? What exploded? His family and close associates asked him to stop flying after this dangerous close call with landing. Oh, yeah? Yep. That is the most dangerous part of flying. Is it? Yeah, well, the rest of the time you're flying. Yeah, I guess it is. If, whether you mean to land or not, it is the most dangerous part. I mean, landing is kind of just controlled crashing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... I guess. I would put it the opposite way and say crashing is just uncontrolled landing. Fair enough. Yeah. They had issues with the landing gear. Oh, so he like scraped the belly of the plane all along the runway. Uh, the butt of the plane. The front landing gear came down. The back did not. So uh, I guess he kind of did the thing with the plane that dogs do when they rub their butt on the carpet. Yeah, except it was a plane on the, yeah. on the runway. <laughs> yeah. That's no good. Yeah, which of course also caused one of the engine's pieces to scrape and it started smoking and caught fire and they had to put it out it didn't actually blow up but again really close yeah <laughs> what other explosions has he been involved in if he ends up in a lot that's that's just this fact we'll get there on the next fact oh okay you've split your explosion facts up yeah i think this one's true i think bb king crashed a plane gently but crashed and exploded nonetheless this is another deep purpler this is a spin really what oh man i guess i shouldn't be that surprised it is a little outrageous it is a little outrageous he did have his pilot license and he did fly until he was 70 and he did stop at the request of his family due to a reportedly dangerous close call but it was not like almost explosion well what was the close call that actually happened i don't know couldn't find any information on it what if it was this what if you just made up the thing that actually happened well then i'll give you the point if you can find information showing that his back landing gear failed to claim come down causing him to drag the butt of the plane and it catch fire i'll give you a point i mean honestly he was probably just flying little like cessna type planes anyway that don't have landing gear that moves like fixed landing gear you know yeah i was afraid you'd think about that i don't know i felt like that by saying that like the front came down but the back didn't like added because i had all that detail it added some credibility to it that's what i went with and it worked so you know i'm at least getting my 50 50 yeah apparently but now on to the million dollar explosion now, is this an explosion that cost a million dollars or did a million dollars blow up? I mean, if something that cost a million dollars blows up, isn't that kind of like a million dollars blowing up? No. Oh, okay. Then no. <laughs> <laughs> My question wasn't exactly a yes or no question, but that's okay. What is the million dollar explosion? BB King was left financially responsible for a million dollar plus debt after an explosion. Whoa. Okay, so something exploded and BB King was apparently at fault and it cost a million dollars plus whoa what blew up his tour bus his tour bus <laughs> that's, that's a heck of an explosion told you he was around a lot of explosions apparently tour buses planes tractors, tractors and i mean there was an explosion in that burger king commercial so you're right but i don't know if he was around that one as much How'd this happen? It collided with a butane truck. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. So is the million dollars just to cover his tour bus or also to like reimburse the truck? Who's at fault here? Well, I don't know, but the company insuring the tour bus was suspended two days prior to the explosion, which meant that no. B.B. King was left financially responsible for the damages. Do you think that's like a hit job? I don't know. It's suspicious timing. What if the insurance company was like, man, we know that man's about to blow up. We can't cover this. <laughs> we fold. 
Or maybe it was the butane truck people being like, oh, we know that this insurance company has been suspended. Let's go blow it up. Well, that's an awful time to do it because then you don't know how you're getting paid. Fair enough. (laughs) B.B. King's rich. He'll be on the road at this time traveling west. Let's get him. What happened? Was he, was everyone okay? I mean, I guess. B.B. King was. He he lived. That's good. He went on to do Burger King commercials. Well, yeah, obviously <laughs> he lived. It took him years of touring to pay off that debt. Maybe that's why he toured till he was old. Maybe it wasn't because he loved it. It's because he owed the butane people. B.B. <gasps> King. Old butane bus king. Oh, no. Yikes. Yeah, I also believe this one, I guess. It's another absurd thing here, but I believe it. I think the million-dollar explosion happened. I wouldn't lie about two explosions in a row. Yeah, you would. (laughs) Oh, apparently he also did commercials for Wendy's, I'm now seeing. He hit all of them. Good, great. (laughs) Yeah, he got around. The big three. This is a true fact. Oh, wow. A true fact. A million-dollar... Why did he blow up so much? (laughs) I don't know. In 1958, yeah, his tour bus uh, collided with a butane truck in Texas. In 1958? Yep. No wonder he was always blue. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. It was actually the same year he got married to his second wife. Ah, he's been divorced every time, but Lucille was there for him. See, I know that because that was my backup fact, just in case, Mm. was that he married his second wife, Sue Hall, and Reverend C.L. Franklin, Aretha Franklin's father, presided. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And, and I mean, he survived those explosions. I talked about at least one other car accident he's been in. Uh-huh. He ran into a burning building. Yeah. Wow. He's lived a dangerous life. Yeah, he did. But he lived it well. Mixtaper, we went 50-50 again. Just like last week, too, where I got the first and the last one and missed the middle. Yeah. It's only fitting. Is it? Because I wanted to be green. Okay. Yeah, good luck making this work. And you wanted me to be purple. Yeah. And what's in the middle? blue i no i'm i guess they do share blue yeah blue's in the middle you're right blue's the middle color on the color wheel between purple and green whoa that is weird because blue is half of green and half of purple i can't believe you did that Uh, that blew my mind a little bit i know my color theory well yeah but it's like that was premeditated in a an episode about the blues you ended blue are you kidding the purple thing was just a dumb joke don't try and pretend that this was some grand scheme i'm a mastermind you can't understand my brain i can clearly understand it half the time yeah but the other half complete enigma Uh, totally a mystery wow well mixtaper have a very purple week until we meet again how dare you wait i'm green week (laughs) how dare you i'm out of here maybe just split the difference and have a blue week yeah and give a big spin it welcome back to Connor. I'm kind of impressed with the color theory. Uh, I wonder if he took color theory classes at... At Evil College? Yeah. Maybe he did. That makes sense to me. Well, let's talk about the album cover of Live at the Regal. It's a shot of B.B. King, and he is live, and he is, I presume, at the Regal. Although you can't really see anything except for him and Lucille. Nice little couple pick there. Heck yeah. Very cute. Right? I love that shade of red, too. Very nice. I bet you you had a lot of fun making episode art for this one with all the different letters. I did. Yeah. Staggering them around like that and coloring them. I liked it a lot. BB and BK let you have it your way. Because it's simple but effective and really fun. I like it. The The orange is a bit rough on the red. 
It is. But everything else is good. I agree. I wonder why they did decide to keep that orange there. Oh. Because like any other color would have been real nice. It's like they finished cutting out all the letters. And then they were like, all right, now what color background do we have lying around? Oh, no. All we have left is red. Shoot. Yeah. No, no way to fix that. Not in 1964. Impossible. No Photoshop, so. What if you, like, traveled back in time and you took Photoshop with you? Oh, my gosh. You could rule the world by distributing misinformation that people would believe (laughs) because it's photographing (laughs) evidence. Oh, gosh. I mean, that's what happened. That's why, like, circuses and stuff, like, all these myths about giants and stuff Mm -hmm. with bones, it's because people took pictures and doctored them. Physical Photoshop. Yeah. Well, we've got 10 live tracks to talk about. Are you ready? No. Well, too bad. Up first is Every Day I Have the Blues. Well, first of all, also just at the top, I'm going to say this once and that's it. So hear it well right now. 12 bar blues are everywhere. That's this. This is that. This is 12 bar blues through and through. I mean, almost all of these songs follow that pattern, which we've discovered so many times before. Just, you know, if you if you want to contextualize it, if you want a big helping of, hmm, what does 12 bar blues sound like? Listen to this album and you'll go, oh, I get it now. Up first. Every day I have the blues. Yes, it does remain up first. The original song came out in 1935, but the most famous version is by Memphis Slim in the late 40s. B.B. King's recorded version of the song came out in 1955, and it used an arrangement by Maxwell Davis. King said that Maxwell Davis wrote a chart of Every Day I Have the Blues with a crisp and relaxed sound I'd never heard before. I liked it so well, I made it my theme. He created an atmosphere that let me relax. And so this is B.B. King's, like, it song. This is his theme song. You know, this is, like, the one. And I think it's excellent. Great way to open this album. He gives it a good pace, so it's not slow and lagging behind. I mean, the curtain comes up. He and the band are on, right from the jump. And boy, does he ever sound right at home as he plays it. Mm, It's great. He's also recorded the song several times. It's on another live album. You know, it's clearly one of his favorites. The song actually has two Grammy Hall of Fame awards. One, in fact, belongs to B.B. King himself. When it was inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame, they said, Every Day I Have the Blues is one of the most ubiquitous of all blues songs, a required number in the repertoires of countless bar and lounge bands of many genres. They said that its late entry into the Blues Hall of Fame reflects the fact that no strong consensus emerged as to which of the hundreds of recorded versions was most deserving, but it's often associated with bb king and so the first of his own many versions gets the honors what do you think of every day i have the blues a lot of instruments yeah so many you know how i feel about instruments i know you kind of hate them what i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) but a lot of horns and and brass yeah which i don't know if that's what you expected from a guy known for his guitar playing but this is such a strong start for them no it is kind of what have i expected okay that's good i knew enough about bb king to know that yeah i think lyrically a lot of these songs are kind of on the simpler side but i don't mind it even a little bit because the songs are so fun it's so fun just to hear him jam the lyrics weren't really the focus no no and it's again it's less of an attempt to say something new and more of a a celebration of the culture of blues music yeah right it is what the genre was at the time and what it could be and like well and just this music in general is all about just feeling it right Mm -hmm. it's not about listening to what it's saying but more just feeling what it is definitely a big part of it but it's certainly blue every day i have the blues nobody loves me nobody seems to care oh every day i just every day i have the blues worries and trouble i've had my share of that but what a fun song 
oh wow right out of the gate one of my favorites on this album it's a good one it sure is i also love some of the banter he gets into with the audience here obviously he gets introduced at the start and then in between tracks he takes a moment to address the crowd and talks about we're playing some old hits tonight i mean old for them in 1964 (laughs) how much more so for us but he encourages them to clap and cheer along and he shouts out his band and like there's so many fun little interactions like that that make this album really come to life it's not just a a piece in a studio like it's dynamic and i love that about it but he does that to bring us into sweet little angel the original version of sweet little angel was written and performed by lucille bogan and is one of the rock and roll hall of fame's 500 songs that help shape rock and roll bb king made some lyrical changes to the original and he recorded his version back in 1956 his arrangement was actually the first one to lean heavily on the horns and it got to number eight on the r&b charts actually a re-recorded version of sweet little angel even made it onto the track list of his very first album the first of what did i say 59 records incredible impressive Yeah. Now this song, I mean, is blues structurally, but thematically, lyrically, I mean, so much happier than, man, every day sucks, right? (laughs) Yeah. Sweet Little Angel, it's a love song. It's a song telling us about his partner. And she spreads her wings. He asks her for a nickel. She gives him a $20 bill. She's so generous. Like she goes above and beyond his needs. Even when he tries to like minimize them, she surpasses them all. Although it does kind of get sad at the end, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Maybe he just gets in his own head. But the song ends with like, if you don't love me, little angel, please tell me the reason why. When he's really given us no indication that she doesn't love him. But I think he maybe just thinks that's the case. Or maybe it's just like, if I'm wrong, you know, just kind of like a little warning. It's like, I'm pretty certain you love me. But if if I'm misreading this, let me know. Right. (laughs) I love his voice. Can I just say? It's a good voice. Oh, he's got such power, such expression, such dynamic, like everything about it is excellent. And it's all on display here too. He he goes up into the stratosphere on a couple of these notes and he just really leans into it. It's so good. And the instrumentals are so good throughout. You're right. It's the thing I could say on every song, but just to hear him play guitar, whether it's a full guitar solo or just an expressive little fill, it is so good it is up next is my own fault it's a song written by john lee hooker and i mean we're straight up into the blues again it's my fault treat me however you want to treat me that's what i deserve i've been unfaithful i've been a bad person i know it and so i'm getting what i deserve it's my own fault that is what's going on that is thoroughly what's going on probably my least favorite of the three so far you think yeah why is that track one and two felt like two different songs right like they were both blues they were both bb king but they were very different stylistically yeah this one wasn't as stylistically different i feel like no no that's a good point i guess it's it's kind of like if you took every day i had the blues and slowed it down i guess like darn it you had a good point no i'm just listening to it and considering it and i think i agree but it's just because it's the blues again it's the 12 bar blues it's the thematically it's the same sad level as the first song like i get what you're saying yeah better get what i'm saying punk (laughs) I do, I do. This is a song where, I mean, listen, take a minute if you're listening to It's My Own Fault. Listen to the piano. That's not a man who's pretending. Jethro, you can play the piano just fine. What are you on about? <laughs> he does great. I, I feel like he had nothing to worry about. That's a good point. But I gotta say, I mean, maybe I'm on board with you. I think it's my own fault. I don't think it's bad, but you're right. Out of the first three, it might be my least favorite. One of my probably top two or three tracks from the album is up next, and that's How Blue Can You Get? How Blue Can You Get? <laughs> 
it sounds like a weird kind of limbo. Like, how low can you go? How blue can you do? Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I can get pretty blue. Don't test me. Well, this song is by Jane and Leonard Feather. Its first recording was by Johnny Moore's Three Blazers. They did it in 1949. B.B. King's first version came out on his 1963 album, Blues In My Heart. So, I mean, at, at this point, 1964, it's a fairly new song for him. One of his versions of How Blue Can You Get would chart at number 97. I love, I mean, the, the verses in this song are good. They're fine. You're evil when I'm with you and you're jealous when we're apart. What an indictment. Like, he's letting it rip. This song has some teeth. I mean, this one ex- starts with explicitly asking you to pay attention to the lyrics. That's true. He says, listen to the lyrics on this one, not the music or the or the band. Focus on what I'm saying. Which is the opposite of what we literally said was like the whole point of this album for the most part. That's true. Well, I think it is telling that that's the whole point of the blues when he has to specifically tell people not to do it at a given point. Yeah. And I think this is a great song to listen to the lyrics on because they're so brutal. <laughs> they're so vicious at the first part. And then... One of my favorite parts is this like three quarters of the way through the song, we get not really a bridge, I guess kind of a bridge. Either way, there's a turn in here where he's the one, you know, in the other song, she's giving him $20 when he's asking for a nickel. This time, he's the one putting himself out there. He gave you a brand new Ford. You said, not good enough. I want a Cadillac. (laughs) I bought you a $10 dinner and you said, thanks for the snack. I love that. That's my favorite line in this song. That's a good line. Yeah. Bought you a ten dollar eggwich. <laughs> he said, "Whoa, that eggwich was ninety nine cents." I bought you ten eggwiches. <laughs> you said, "Thanks for the snack." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Ugh. his penthouse is just a shack to her. Like nothing's ever good enough. And then I think the greatest moment of the song, and one of the greatest moments on the entire record, is at the very end. He says, "I gave you seven children, and now you want to give them back." Like the tables completely turn on himself in one like half sentence. It's incredible and so funny. Like, what a moment. I love it. I like how the crowd goes wild when he says that line, too. Yeah. I'm part of the crowd. I'm going wild when he says it. The whole crowd's like, oh, you got oh, him. Sick. Yeah. Sick. Well, he re- <laughs> Some of the people in the audience are like pointing at one another, going, like, that's you. That's you. It's so you. <laughs> it's incredible. I think this song, I mean, might very well be my playlist pick. Also, fun little story about how blue can you get? One time at Farm Aid in 1985, he was playing this song. He broke a string in the middle and he proceeds to keep singing, keep rocking, and he fixes the string mid song. You'd never know anything happened. Truly, like a master class, like an artist right there. Yeah. Oh, I wish I could have seen him live. Crazy stuff. Oh, it is. I just love watching him. He's just such. A captivating performer. He just gives it his all every time he's on the stage. You can hear it. You can see it. Man. It's like he's standing up there in front of an audience. And you know what he's saying? Please love me. He's saying, please love me. That's the next track. Track five. It's by actually him. He wrote this. B.B. King and Jules Taub wrote this. And it was one of his earliest hits back in 1953. A B.B. King OG. That's right. A B.B. OG. I didn't like that. <laughs> Why? I don't know. It doesn't seem right. That's what you just said. I said a BB King OG. Well, yeah. You cut you cut off the K and you said a BB OG, yeah. and I didn't like that for some reason. It spells babog. Babog. <laughs> 
Anyway, oh, Please Love Me is another one that picks up the pace a little bit. It's another one you can kind of groove along to really, really easily. I was in love with you before I learned to call your name, but the way you treat me is going to drive me insane. This song really doesn't say much. Please Love Me, the title tells you all you need to know about the song. Yeah. But it's just a fun little three minutes here where you can groove and rock and get into it. And get into it, he does. Yes, he does. More piano, by the way, that doesn't sound faked. Point it out. (laughs) Point it out. This here. I'm also impressed just to listen to this album with the audio quality. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, this is a live album from 1964. And it's like not remastered. No, this is just the way that it sounded. I bet it sounded worse live (laughs) to hear it in person. (laughs) It just sounds so crisp and clear. They do a great job. I mean, the crowd noise is there when they want it to be there. But it's not distracting, and they filter it out when it doesn't need to be there. Yep. Just so well created. There was some great sound mixing on this. Honestly. Like, the sound engineer did a good job with this. 100%. And that will factor into its score. As it should. Man, the breakdown in the middle of Please Love Me is excellent. Now, up next is kind of a an interesting little break. It makes sense, because if you had a physical record, this is where you'd flip it over. But we get another intro. Someone else comes out and says, ladies and gentlemen, BB King, you know? like Was it also after? After like a intermission in the in the show, I'm not sure if it was after an intermission. Or did they just? He was already on stage, already performing and everything. And then some guy just comes <laughs> out and says it. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I found information that suggested they maybe did four shows on this day. Oh wow! So I definitely think it could be uh, the intro to another show. But whether this song immediately followed it, I don't know. I think so. I think it definitely was part of a different set. I like it. Me too. You Upset Me Baby is the first track on that second side. He gets reintroduced and they launch into You Upset Me Baby by Joe Hosea and Maxwell Davis. This one's an interesting one because he just starts naming numbers. He starts like giving the girls measurements and and talking about how she upsets him. The title maybe misleads you. It's kind of a weird cognitive dissonance to, to hear the song title called You Upset Me and know that it's a blues track after all these songs about how his woman's done him wrong, but this is like a good kind of upset, you know? Like, she's just driving him crazy with the way that she looks and acts and is. Not, she's a knockout, and she's knocking him out like a tree. It was okay. It wasn't as good as the first side's intro track. No. No, but that's th- that's his theme song. That's his relaxed song. That's, like, his signature. I, I mean, I get it. But also, again, you're not kicking off the album. You're just kick-starting the second half. And I think it's a good energy for that. Yeah, I'll allow it. Good. It already happened many, many years before your birth. So good on you to retroactively allow that. Yeah. If they had to go back and change it, now would be a whole mess. You're a very forgiving PC king. <laughs> Up next, track 7 of 10, 70% of the way through this album. It's Worry Worry. Worry 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 is all I can do. Worry Worry Baby is all I can do. I could be miserable. And guess what? He's upset again. But this time, like normal, it's not the good kind of upset. It's all her fault. You hurt me so bad. Tragic tragic indeed worry worry is by jules taub and david Plummer. king's first recording a single of worry worry came out in 1959 making it a respectable five years old at the time of this recording worry worry is a head and shoulders longer than all the rest of the songs on this album it's six minutes and 23 seconds long compare that to the shortest track of like 238 it's like three times the length and it's so slow Not like in a boring, slow kind of way, but just in like a really intentionally soulful kind of way. One of the reasons it's so long is an extended bit 
of audience banter. He kind of goes on this big monologue to his audience. What do you think? Mr. Doesn't Like Talking in Songs. It's a live album. How's that land? It's okay. It's allowable. Okay, I'll take allowable. Oh, the shortest song is not 238. It's minute 44. I didn't even think about that. I overlooked that one. Can't overlook the allowable. No. I love it. I love the instrumentals he slides into here. I love that he takes so much time to talk to the audience and engage. He seems like a such a personable performer. The shortest track on this album immediately follows the longest track on this album. We're down from that 6 minutes 23 to a minute 44. That's Woke Up This Morning. This one's solely by B.B. King, the first and only one that he was the lone writer on. And it's from 1953, one of the oldest songs on this record period. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of got into the swing of this one. Yeah, I know. This one's fast and fun. And I love that little... Like, he just really makes this one fun. Plus, once those horns start, they don't stop. It's almost kind of got like a pre-ska edge to it. I think tempo-wise, if I'm counting right, I think this might be the fastest song on the record. Yeah, I think it is. Not just time-wise, like, just speediest. And that's good. I mean, lyrically, he just wakes up and his baby's gone. He's all alone. He's all alone. He's all alone. Ain't no loving since my baby's been gone. Another fun song that lyrically, it's light, but you feel it. This song, I, I don't know, just embodies a lot of blues spirit to me. It does. And I'd say the same thing about You Done Lost Your Good Thing Now. That's another very spirited blues song. Back up to four and a half minutes, making it the second longest song on the album. But whoo, man, it's so good. It's by B.B. King and Joe Hosea. It's from 1960. And this has some of my favorite guitar parts on the whole album. Just some excellent solos in here. What a guy. I mean, he really did a lot to like pioneer string bending. Yeah, and I feel like we're just saying the same things over and over at this point because all the songs are equally as good. (laughs) It's it's true. Like this is a very well-balanced album. I think that's pretty true. I don't think any one song, well, I would earmark... Every Day I Have the Blues, How Blue Can You Get, and maybe Sweet Little Angel as maybe slight exceptions. Otherwise, I think all these songs are very much on like an, a level playing field. Okay, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I, I would agree. You're saying for like standouts? Yeah, those would be the ones that are like maybe a little better, but everything else feels, you're right, balanced on equal footing yeah. of quality that is similar and good. And I mean, if you went to a concert and it sounded like any of these songs, oh, buy me a ticket. You know, I'll go see it four times on the same day. I'll be there. It's just great. One song that is different, though, in a way that I don't know how to feel about is Help the Poor. It kind of deviates a little bit from the strict kind of blues and kind of feels a little bit like a, I don't know, like a samba of sorts. Like it's got this interesting cadence to it and it's not 12 bar blues anymore. Suddenly it's very different. It's really kind of a shift in gears and it's kind of a different way to end the album. I don't mind it, but it kind of comes out of left field. It's by Charlie Singleton and it's one of the most recent songs from this album. It didn't even get a release until 1964, the year right before this album came out, the same year he recorded the show. I know I just said it, but I gotta say it again. Okay. And especially because we're also coming up on Final Spin, where I'll probably say it a third time. It's a really well-balanced album. Yeah, it is. I don't know if we've done an album this well-balanced. Like, how do you mean? Just like, I don't know. That could mean a lot of different things. Balanced could mean not too good, not too bad. Balanced could mean all the tracks are equal. By balanced, I mean, I don't think we've had done an album that all the songs are 
on such an equal footing. Okay. Yeah. Whether they're good or bad, you know, they're all on equal footing. I hope they're a little good. Yeah. Right. I know. And I think that's one of the reasons that consistency is one of the reasons people earmark this as one of the best albums made and definitely one of the best blues albums. Fair enough. I do like the twist in Help the Poor. You know, he talks about Help the Poor. You think he's talking about people who are poor monetarily, but he's talking about me. Help me. Poor me. You know, I've been going through so much. Have a heart. You know, I want you to love me because I love you. Help the poor. I'm poor. It's me, right? It's it's a fun little lyrical joke that he hides in here. Sure. Kind of in the same way that he hides one in You Upset Me, Baby, and all over the place. Well, yeah, I think you're right, though. It is time for Final Spin. That's all 10 tracks. Such an easy listen, this album. If you haven't listened to Live at the Regal yet and sat here and listened to us talk about it without listening to it for some reason, you will fly through that record, and you will either love every minute of it or hate it, but you'll feel the same about all the songs, that consistency. But let's get into some scores. Musically, 84. I love the 12-bar blues. It's iconic. I think he does a good job at making the 12-bar blues sound distinct in each of these songs, whether it's the instrumental arrangements behind them, whether it's the melody he's singing over it. Maybe it's just like the soul that he puts into some words over others. Whatever it is, I don't think it gets stale. So 84 for music. Lyrically, again, with a little bit of understanding where this album's coming from, 1965, you know, straight out of legacy blues. I think the lyrics are pretty good. There's a lot of really fun songs here. And when things aren't fun, at least they're standard blues material, right? Nothing here really raises a red flag or makes me go, oh, I didn't like that. You know what I mean? This is exactly what I would expect a blues album to be like and to say lyrically. And when it does surprise me in songs like Help the Poor and How Blue Can You Get, it's refreshing and great. 86 on lyrics. Production, instruments, I can't sing the praises of enough. This is one of the best sounding albums from the 60s. <laughs> like, I've heard studio albums from later than this that sound so much worse. Yep. It's downright impressive. The mix is incredible. The instrumentalists are phenomenal. All the horn players he has are, are top tier. B.B. King himself is a legendary guitar player, and he doesn't miss a note, not even a little bit. Even his piano player that's faking it. How many times <laughs> did I say he's not pretending? It's It's legit. 93 on instruments and production overall vibe for consistency for historical value for entertainment it just doesn't get much better this is like a complete package so it gets a 97 for me for the vibe honestly one of the highest vibe scores that i've given on the podcast and one of the highest i've given on the spreadsheet all time obviously there are only three possible scores higher fair enough yeah the sad part is that he did not write at least half of this album. So he's not going to get a bonus point. Which is going to plummet him. It's going to hurt. His final score, Live at the Regals, getting an 88.1, just below Michael Buble. Oh, wow. And just above George Strait. So he's in very good company. He is a king after all. And hey, George Strait was the king of country. And Michael Buble well, is the king, king of, of Christmas. Christmas. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've got a, a king trio. <laughs> we three kings. I've also scored one other B.B. King studio album to this point, and it did rank a little bit significantly lower than this. But this one is great. Love it, love it, love it. So that's me. Now, before you give your scores, I'm curious to know, I mean, score or otherwise, just flat out like your enjoyment of it. I'm curious to know which of our two live albums so far you've liked better. Folsom Prison by Johnny Cash and Live at the Regal by B.B. King. Where where does this compare to the one other comparison point we have? I'm not gonna say yet (laughs) oh man i specifically put in here make sure you ask this before connor gives his scores because otherwise we'll know well but if i 
hypothetically, if I say I like it better, that also gives away my score. Well, it could hypothetically <laughs> do that. That's true. Now, if I say I didn't like it as as well, then everything's open still. But yeah, so I'm not gonna say just to keep it spoiler free. It is a moderate spoiler, sure. In fact, we're gonna start with I think my top three. Oh, okay. Make us wait for it a little longer. And I do only get three. The bank has come to collect. They deferred my payment. <laughs> That's right. Last week you got an extra one back for Laney, so you're losing one this time. And so. My top three in album order. Every day I have the blues. Every day I have the blues. That's nice. Sweet Little Angels. Yeah. And How Blue Can You Get? Ooh, that's a $10 snack. Unsurprising top three earlier in the episode, just mere minutes ago. I said those are probably the top three. I know. That's why I asked you to clarify which three again, because I was looking. (laughs) Yeah. No, no complaints from me, though. I understand, and I agree. What's your playlist pick? Oh, my playlist pick? I'll go ahead and take How Blue Can You Get. Oh, well, that makes my, my life easier. I'll take Sweet Little Angel. Interesting. I kind of thought you'd take Every Day I Have the Blues. I, I have no problem with either one. That's just where I expected you to go. I guess it's just that opening to Sweet Little Angel versus the opening to Every Day I Hear the Blues, because you know there's the whole intro to the album and all that. True. Where Sweet Little Angel just comes in on that great guitar bit right away. And it's got some of his best vocal work on the album. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, honestly, between Sweet Little Angel and How Blue Can You Get, I would say are his maybe two best songs vocally. Definitely his two most popular on the album, too, according to the Spotify place, according to the people. Yep. And now the moment you've all been waiting for. My score. This one gets nine. Oh, yeah. Golden Touches out of ten. Nine is exciting. I, in a moment of panic, right before you set the number, I was like, oh, what if it's an eight? What if it's a seven? And I just psyched myself up a little bit. Well. So a nine is refreshing. It's good. You do love the instruments. I do. I, I do know that. I do. As for its placement, see, now you get to decide. Now you get to find out, is it, do I like it more or less than Folsom Prison? Yeah, Folsom Prison's in the country club. That's right. We called it the country club. Johnny Cash is down there kind of at a lower nine. Yeah. And this one goes right above Montero by Lil Nas X. What a weird back-to-back. Yeah, okay. I like that. Well, that puts it right below Kaleo, Blues Rock. Yeah. You're getting a blues club, too. The blues clues. You're getting a blues bar right below your country club. Oh, yeah. There you go. I'm getting the the country club and the blues bar. (laughs) I love it. I need 12. We need 10 more blue albums so I can have a 12-bar blue. That's going to be a lot of blues albums. Yeah. But we can make it happen. (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, I think it's fitting that it's next to Montero because I like both of those albums mainly for their music and their instruments. Like, I like what Montero does with its instrumentation and stuff as well. So That makes sense. Well, I noticed it's a a far cry from the six you gave the better of our double blues last time, Stevie Ray Vaughan. You gave him six super glued buttons. Yeah. Maybe for the blues, I just like a live album. I Maybe that's what it is, yeah. Live albums, you said, tend to be worse, but I think this one is the exception that proves the rule. I mean, if, if all live albums sounded like that, they'd be my favorite thing in the world. They just usually don't. Yeah, it's true. They, they really don't. <laughs> Not all the time. But the good ones, man, they do. What a way to jumpstart Blues Boy's career again. I mean, they needed a shot of adrenaline, and they got one. Yep. Live at the Regal, it ticks every box that you could possibly ask of it. But that brings us to the end of another episode. Hopefully we 
did everything that you could possibly ask of us this episode. Yeah, hopefully we ticked all the spin it boxes as well. Maybe added a few boxes. Hey, maybe. And if we did, let us know on all our socials at spinitpodofficial on Instagram, at spinitpod on X, and on the web, of course, at www.spinitpod.com. We'll be back at you next week with another exciting episode oh next week actually and i'm back to full picks you are and next week is gonna be so fun okay then oh is next week the week next week is a very special holiday it is a special holiday the episode comes out on groundhog day so sorry the episode comes out on gopher day <laughs> yeah we do like to celebrate gophers so we've got some plans for that it'll be a very unique episode but i'm really excited so stay tuned for gopher day next week on spin it wherever you get your podcasts and right here and until gopher day keep, keep spinning. spinning i'm telling you i think all the i think all the kings know each other all the royalty know one another do you have proof i mean he's gonna at least get to know michael buble and whoever else he's like by. gosh <laughs> he's right by michael buble and george Strait. yeah so at least he can get to know those kings that's true he worked alongside king midas no, he didn't. You're making that up. No, he did it. He did a Midas uh, tire commercial with the Midas Tire Company. What? That's been here the whole time, and the mixtaper didn't even say it during Factor Spin. I had no idea. That's why you were making Midas jokes. It comes out here in the episode banter after everything's done. It's, it's not. It, I was going to cut all those jokes. <laughs> well, now you can't, especially because it's not true, but I wish it was. It's not. No. I almost added it in there, what? but I was afraid that would make you say spin because it would have been a spin, so I left it out. And by I, I mean the mixtaper left it out. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is annoying. Anyway, BB bye. Ooh, triple B. BB King. Bye bye King. Oh. That's probably what it says on his tombstone. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs>